All right, well, good morning to Tucson Mountain Baptist Church. Welcome. Glad to see everyone here and looking pretty happy. Um, Craig's not with us today. He's having a migraine, so please be in prayer for him and um, all the other folks who are going through hard times right now. Um, thank you for being here today and a fellowship with our church, and also shout out to everyone uh, online. Um, love to have you with us. Let's open a quick prayer, and then we will sing an old song, but a great one that's always going to be true, Mighty is Our God. So let's open in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this chance to come together as a body, to worship together, to encourage each other, to learn from your word, and prepare ourselves to go out into the world and fulfill your purpose for us. And Lord, we pray the same of Jesus. Amen. All right, if you're able, please stand and let's sing. Jasper, come on up, please. Good morning, everyone. Just a quick announcement. This coming uh, Saturday, February 18, men's prayer breakfast at 8.30 a.m. And also youth hiking this February 8, 18 at 9 a.m. 
If you are interested to join us, you are very much welcome. We will meet here at the church parking lot at 9 a.m. And to those who are watching online, once again, we have additional room for a smaller setting. We have room 108. And to our guests, if this is your first time, welcome to Tucson Mountain Baptist Church, and we encourage you to fill out our guest registration card. Shall we pray? Lord, we praise you for all the blessings and even for all the testings that strengthens our faith and our relationship with you. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and empower us, Lord, as we worship you and ponder upon your word. Lord, help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. And help us, Lord, to see and to look at life the way you look at it. And Father, we believe that you are the God that has been uh, faithful and gracious to us. Father, we pray that you will continue to remind ourselves, remind each one of us that it's only by your grace, Lord. Even this wonderful day that we enjoy right now, even our time together, it's only by your grace. And Lord, Father, we pray that you will fill our hearts with joy knowing that, that we have eternal God, we have a loving God, we have a merciful God, a faithful God, a God who never changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And bless us as we worship you, Lord, and give the glory that you deserve in Christ's precious name. Amen. Okay, ladies, I want to remind <laughs> you that we have a box back here. We're collecting um, items for the women's shelter. A lot of these women have been battered, and they're getting ready to move into their conceitas. They need some really nice things to help them. Kitchen things, um, blankets, clothing, kids stuff. Uh, we don't need junky stuff. So if you guys would, it doesn't have to be brand new, but it needs to be nice, okay? So if you guys would donate that when you can. And we don't take large furniture or broken furniture. Also, this Thursday night, uh, we're having another uh, ladies' meeting right here in the May classroom. Miss Aura Gonzalez, or it's Friday, Friday, you're right. Friday night, <laughs> I'm off a day. Uh, so Friday night, please come out at 6 o'clock and hear Aura Gonzalez. She'll be our speaker for that night. Awesome, thanks. All right, so we are going to sing When We All Did Get to Heaven, which is a, a great encouraging song for believers as we look forward to our ultimate hope. You know, in this world, we're going to have trouble. Jesus promised it to us, but we have the promise of heaven and be reunited with our loved ones. Let's, uh, let's please join me in singing.
what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. A day of rejoicing that will be when we all when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory. All right, our next song is going to be "One Step Closer," continuing our theme of looking forward to our great heavenly hope. done in quite a while, so we're going to be doing it as a special, but if you know it, please sing along with us. We're going to be singing Glorious Day, which um, is actually originally written as a, a hymn and uh, to a different tune, but this is a, a modern rewriting of it, so please join, it if, join us if you know it.
The fabulous Blackwood Quartet, hey!
Good morning, Tucson Mountain. Y'all are awake this morning, at least. Sorry, I couldn't be here with you that night. Uh, I was a little indisposed. <coughs> Listen, I told you guys a while back, probably about a year, maybe a year and three, four months ago, that, and I gave you a pencil eraser. And I saw that pencil eraser the other day in my wife's Bible. And it reminded me why I gave you that pencil eraser. It's because we all make mistakes. And they put erasers on pencils so we can erase those mistakes and correct those mistakes, right? Today I gave you a rubber band. You know what a rubber band is? No, it's not to shoot each other. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I heard three people say it's to shoot somebody. <laughs> no, it is not. And don't, guys, do not snap your wives. You hear me? Wives, don't snap your husbands either. <laughs> Got to have an equal opportunity thing going on here, man. <laughs> I love action movies. You ever think about action movies? There's always tension building. There's tension building. That's why I gave you the rubber band, but it's also to remind us of something. Psychologists and psych psychiatrists have been using this for years, that if you have a bad habit and you wear a rubber band on your wrist, if you see somebody in the grocery store out and they got a rubber band, they're trying to break something. They're trying to remind yourself not to do something. Maybe it's uh, scratching their feet in public. I don't know what it might be. <laughs> but they're trying to stop doing something. So when that habit comes about, they snap that rubber band to remind themselves to quit. Well, this is to remind us that there's tension that takes place in our lives. But it's also to remind us maybe that, you know what? Christ is coming someday. Are you guys going to sing and shout to victory when you get to see him? Do you believe he's faithful and true? Yes. Then hang on. It's a rubber band kind of tension that we're looking at today. It keeps stretching tighter and tighter. And it feels like it's going to snap at any minute. That's what revelation that we've read through so far is telling us. It's what's showing us. The tension just keeps building. It's one of the most dramatic books in the Bible that we've ever read so far. We start out with those incredible experiences of worship around the throne with the 24 elders and the multitude singing. The seals are open and then tragedies start to come upon the earth. The trumpets sound and there's more tragedies, more tension. And then the bowls are poured out of God's wrath. Those trumpets sound, those bowls are poured out and there's more tension. And then you see the stories of Satan in Babylon and the great prostitute. Those incredibly powerful figures are just pouring themselves out upon the earth and all of, all of mankind. And the wars are covering the whole planet now. And we've seen this over the course of the last three or four weeks, this, this continuous tension building. And then all of a sudden, we get to chapter 19. And it's all about what the Blackwood gentlemen were singing it's all about what our praise and worship team was singing about. It's about heaven. It's about everything that's going to happen when we get to see Jesus. But there's a lot of things that are going to have to take place before that. I entitled this one praise Alleluia" because that's what it is. It's praise Alleluia. Do you guys realize that there's one word in chapter 19 and 20 that's repeated over and over again? And that's the word hallelujah. That actually means praise be to God. It's praise to God. 
So I just entitled it, Praise Hallelujah. Think about this. In chapter 19, we're going to see three end-time events that are so dramatic and so powerful and so overwhelming that sometimes it leaves us speechless. Now, even if you understand and you know a lot about end-times events, as we look at these things and these last few chapters of Revelation, there may be some things that come out that you haven't thought about. So when you think about these things, I want you to think about this. There's three specific things we're going to be looking at today. The wedding supper of the Lamb, the second coming of Christ, and the most confusing for most folks is the millennial reign of Jesus, that thousand-year reign of Jesus. I believe in order to fully understand this, we have to first understand the book of Genesis. We have to know and understand what Genesis is talking about. We have to start at the beginning. And then we have to completely understand what it says at the end in Revelation. And we have to put all that together so it makes sense. There's a lot of stuff in between, yes. But those two chapters are key in understanding what these end times events are going to be. All those hallelujahs sung to God. All the praise that comes to him. The multitude sing hallelujahs. The 24 elders sing hallelujahs. Even a voice from the throne says hallelujah. We're going to see it. Listen, God's word is the confirmation that his plan is the plan that's going to reign forever. He's going to reign forever. So as we look at these first 10 verses, stick with me because this is going to be a lot of reading. You have an additional insert for Matthew 24 today. So I want you to stick with me and just hang in there because there's going to be a lot of things that possibly unfold in your mind. And I, put, I want you to put these visions in your mind's eye today. It's important that you comprehend and understand these things for what's happening not only at the end times, but what's happening right now in our world. And I want you to relate these things that are happening in our world today to what we read today and how it fits together. But then you're going to have to make some decisions for yourself. All right? Revelation 19, 1 through 10 says this. It's an incredible event that's happening. <coughs> After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with, by her adulteries. He has avenged on her blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters in loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteousness, righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. 
I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who holds the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Listen, Ephesians 5, 27 20 through 25 help us understand exactly what John's writing about here. It helps us understand that relationship of the wedding supper of the Lamb. It talks about the earthly image of tenderness and love and compassion that God gives us. But it's the love and compassion that we are to present and represent one to another as husband and wife. Look at what it says with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The lamb, of course, here we know is Jesus. The bride, of course, represented is the church. But let's think about this for a second. We're part of that church. We're part of that bride. We're part of that body of believers that are going to be wed to Christ one day. Here's some things that we need to think about. The bride here is prepared. The bride is prepared. The church is to be prepared. Aren't we? It takes preparation for a bride to get ready for a wedding event. Now, as men, we don't get that. Ladies, you probably know that. We have no clue how much time it takes for a bride to get ready. Most guys, for us, if we just show up, we're doing all right. But here's the thing. Some brides take weeks, days, months, maybe even years to prepare for their wedding. They don't know who they're marrying, but they know they're getting married. Here's the thing. I, I, I got to looking and doing a little research on this. Do you realize there's a lot of magazines written out there for brides? There's Brides, Modern Brides, Today's Bride, Elegant Bride, New Jersey Bride, Manhattan Bride. And then there's one called Bride Again. Listen, God has brought great joy to a lot of folks that have gotten married a second time. Maybe it's because of a divorce. Maybe it's because of the death of a spouse, and I don't want to offend anyone or hurt anyone's feeling. But those things happen. It's part of our lives. But you know what? It's interesting to me that that Bride Again magazine was subtitled Encore Bride. Now, I don't know of any ladies that want to be called an Encore Bride. Here's the thing, though. There's a niche market for those brides magazines. But gentlemen, let me tell you something. If you type in and go to Google or any of your search engine and you type in a groom's magazine, do you know what you get? Dog grooming stuff. <laughs> I'm not sure that says much for us guys. I couldn't find one magazine out there or one thing for grooms other than dog grooming stuff. All right? But brides take a lot of time to prepare for a wedding. We as his church should be preparing for that day. We should be preparing for that wedding between the lamb and the bride. <laughs> Let's think about this for a minute. Why does any wedding happen? Because two individuals love one another. Why is this wedding going to happen? It's because God loved us so much that he sent his son and he gave his one and only son to die for us. And we as the church, as the body of believers, 
worldwide should love him. We should be preparing for this as we walk through this life. He gives us an image of absolute intimacy that he has with the church. But the bride is also honored. The bride is also honored. The Bible says she's given fine and bright and clean linen to wear. Listen, don't mix the picture here. This fine linen stands for those righteous acts of the saints. I know it says that, but I want us to drive this point home a little bit. When I'm standing up here and able to do a wedding, I see things from a different viewpoint than most of you. Most of you are looking this way to start with, and the guys are just sort of standing up here on the side. We're just sort of milling around like waiting, right? But here's what happens. You're all sitting there, and all of a sudden, the music stops. And there's a moment in time when you all start looking towards the back. And Wagner's wedding march starts. Here comes the bride, and here she comes down the aisle. And you usually all turn around and or stand and turn around to take a moment in that time frame and just gaze on the beauty of that bride. That's what's going to happen here. In the day that Jesus comes back and marries his church, there's going to be a moment when all of creation will stop. All of creation is going to turn. All of heaven and earth is going to stop for that minute in time and look at the bride of Christ marrying the lamb. Remember, we can't do those acts of righteousness on our own. We're not meant to. It's because of what God has done through us and Jesus Christ has done in our lives. We need to think about this a little bit. Those righteous decisions that you make each and every day, each time you make the right decision to follow Christ and do what Jesus has told you to do, every time you do that righteous act, you make that bride a little more beautiful. You make that gown that she's wearing a little more clean. Think about this. Every time you choose through the power of God to do any righteous act, that bride becomes more beautiful. Every time you say no to those temptations in life, that bride becomes more beautiful. Every time you, as Christian parents, love those kids, even when you don't want to listen to you, you make that bride more beautiful. Every time you, as husband and wife and Christian parents, love one another and set that example for the next generation coming up, of how to love one another, you make that bride more beautiful. It's a never-ending cycle. We have to remember that. Every time you choose to do what's right, by God's motivation, you make that bride a little more beautiful. Listen, never think that the choices you make in this life don't make a difference to the bride of Christ. Don't think they make a difference. They may not be noticed much right now, but I can guarantee you one day all of heaven and earth is going to stop and look at what you contributed to that bride of Christ. We need to remember that. Every time you make the right choice, that bride becomes more beautiful. But the first great event, the wedding supper as the lamb, is now done. There's things that are now going to take place that are going to be even more amazing. It's the second coming of Christ. But before we do that, we need to look at some things. When you hear that terminology, the second coming of Christ, it can mean one of two things technically. 
in actuality. It can mean it's just prior to the end time events, like this is, that we see the rapture, the coming of Christ, when we as believers see him at the tribulation time, at the end of tribulation, just before the millennial reign. But there's a second time. It's the second time when he comes and he, the whole world sees him for who he really is. The whole world sees him as the Son of God, the one and only Son, our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1911 through 21 is a picture of that second coming. But before we read that, I think there's something else we need to read. Many, many times, most of the questions that people ask about the rapture, the second coming of Christ, is, is all those common questions, those who, what, when, why, where, and how questions. Sometimes when you're trying to talk to somebody about that, those are the questions that you get. I think when we talk about that, there's two questions the world wants to know more than anything else. is the where and the when. The where and the when. Now, we've seen some of the where. That's been explained to us in Revelation. But the when is something that even Jesus said. I don't even know the time and the day. And he tells us that. But you know what? I believe the two most important questions for us as believers is the why and the who. The why and the who. Jesus is coming again. We've seen a lot of the why questions answered in Revelation already. Why? Simply put, it's to bring his people back to him. And it's to judge those who haven't turned to him. Two reasons. But the absolute most important question, that second one, is the who. Who is coming back? Who is it that's coming again? Matthew 24 explains that to us. On your inside insert, you have a lot of red letter writing. We're going to read that together. And it's all in Matthew 24, but I think it sets the stage for the rest of Revelation. And I want us to understand this as well as we possibly can, as much as we can comprehend. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, when the second coming is taking place, when the Son of Man will appear, and he says these things. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Here's the wind again. And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Now, there's some things I'm going to tell you to highlight, circle, underline here as we go through this, and I just want you to tag those if you would. If you don't want to, that's fine. If your memory's good, don't worry about it. For many will come in my name, claiming I am Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. You should underline, you are not alarmed. Listen. When we first started this series, I had at least no less than three to five people come to me and say, you know what, I don't like studying the book of Revelation because it scares me. Well, you know what, if it scares the hell out of somebody out there in the world and they come to Jesus because of it, then praise God, right? But we as Christians should not fear this book. We should not fear what this book tells us. 
Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Do we see that today? And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We're seeing that today. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. Underline that. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. I'm not sure we're there yet. I'm not sure how we close we are. But according to scripture, it says these are the beginning. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. We're seeing that. I got to put your finger right there. Don't go away. Something happened this week that I was just flabbergasted at. The Church of England has decided and they are voting on taking and using not proper pronouns anymore for God. They're thinking about taking it out of the Church of England. No more he or him or father. They're going gender neutral. We need to pray about that. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of the most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Underline, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Those of you that ask, well, what about those indigenous people that never get to hear God's word? Did you read that? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation. You guys know what the abomination that causes desolation is? Think about this. In Roman days, in Greek days, it was when Roman Greek actually went into the temple and set up idols in the temple of Jerusalem. But worse yet, the story goes that they sacrificed a pig in the temple. That was the desecration. But in this story that we're looking at in Revelation, it's when those idols, the, the Antichrist sets up shop in the temple. He basically desecrates the temple by placing idols in the temple once again. The abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand, and then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. You need to underline that part. Don't believe all these prophets and false soothsayers. 
For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, the vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Isn't that what we've been reading about? At that time, the, son of the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. You need to underline all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Sort of a strange place to stop and give another lesson. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be days in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away that is how it will be with the coming of the son of man two men will be in the field one will be taken and the other left two women will be grinding with a handmill one will be taken and the other left therefore keep watch I want you to underline keep watch because you do not know when on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, there it is again, and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Underline must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him, who then is faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master find him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away for a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This sets the stage and gives us the images that we need to think about and put in our mind's eye as we read this last part of 19. I want you to process this. 19. And the first part of 20 and all the rest of 21 are becoming going to become in clearer focus when we look at these. 
Revelation 19, 11 through 21. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head are, on his head are many crowns. He has his name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Get this. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Listen, the rider on that white horse would have been a familiar picture to the people in Jesus' day, in John's day. Whenever a Roman general would come into town victorious, he would come in and ride down Main Street from the Roman Forum to the Temple of Jupiter. And what would take place, it would be a great, big, grand procession. But he would be coming in, riding on a white horse. They did it the same way every time. First would come in would be all the spoils of war and the captives and the slaves that they'd taken. And then right in the middle of it, before the rest of the army and the family of the conquering general would come, would be the general riding very pompous on a white horse. But here's the problem. The general, when he rode through the streets, might be riding on the white horse. And they would understand as the picture of victory. But when our Jesus comes, he's going to ride in completely different type of victory. Amen? His name is faithful and true. His eyes are like bright flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. Can you think about what those crowns represent? I've been trying to think about that. And I think about all the businesses, all the kingdoms, all the families, all the, all the schools, all the institutions, all those people that think they're wearing crowns. I think all those crowns are going to be on Jesus' head. Because they're not going to be large and in charge anymore. He is. A crown is a symbol of leadership. A crown is a symbol of someone who has absolute authority within that domain. And he says, this is now all my domain. He's the ruler of everything. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what kind of maneuvering other people do. He is the ruler of everything. At the end time, the whole, the whole issue is going to be wiped clean. The whole slate's going to be clean. And just like the Super Bowl today, I don't know when that final 
buzzer or gun's going to go off, when that final quarter is going to be done. But you know what? One day that final quarter is going to be done in the life of this earth. And God is going to say, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. It's inevitable. He is our Lord. Think about this. At the end time, there's always going to be those who still want to fight and fuss and cause problems. Look at his clothing. His robe is dipped in blood. What does that robe dipped in blood represent? It represents his dying on the cross for us. What he did for us on that cross and the blood that's on that robe. That's why there's blood on that robe. It represents everything he gave. His title is the Word of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Do we really believe that? Are we acting like it? Are we taking the message out to the world that we have to offer? We need to think about that. Revelation 19 tells us there's going to be another great battle. But you know what? The world is still going to be fighting. So we move from a wedding to a war, from a bride to a battle. And then... We see that the battle's ended. The battle's over. Jesus emerges victorious. Evil is defeated, but not, com not forever. Not yet. Satan is locked up, but he's only out of the picture for a little while. Look at verses 1 through 6 in Revelation 20 with me. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the millennial reign of Christ that we're seeing. It's starting to take place. We see the picture immediately start. Him being king, him being Lord of lords and king of kings. He will govern everything, Scripture tells us, and we know that. Can you imagine the world he's going to govern? Can you imagine what it's going to be like? We're going to live in a perfect world. There's not going to be any more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. There's not going to be any more arguing, fussing, fighting, no more racism, no more frustrations, no more hate, no more anti-Semitism. It's done because he is Lord. There's three very strong views that come out of this millennial reign, this thousand-year reign of Christ. There's also some questions that we're going to look at next week and the following week about this this the resurrections and the binding and loosening of Satan again. Understanding what's going to happen at the end, I think, is crucial for us to understand what's happening in our world today. And as we look at these things, I hope we can put 
some of those pieces of the puzzle together for all of us. The three main views, those about this thousand-year reign is this. All these views are biblical. I want to say this to start with. And all these views are held by good Bible-believing Christians. So don't be too judgmental and harsh with these, okay? We have to have the humility to understand that we don't know all there is to know, all right? So the very first one, the premillennial view. The very first one is a premillennial view. You remember we talked about post-trib, pre-trib, all those tribulation issues, okay, mid-trib, but we're now we're talking about millennial issues. This premillennial issue is that he sets up an earthly kingdom and there's a thousand years of him reigning upon the earth, just as it literally says there. This is the view I think most Bible commentaries and commentators and really scholars of the Bible take today. Now, notice I said I think and I believe. You have to decide on your own. God is going to work in an incredible way at the end of time. And what that's going to look like, I don't know absolutely, and neither do you. So don't get too high and pious, all right? My question that I want to leave you with is I got it on your handout is why does there need to be a thousand-year reign? I want you to think about that this week. The other one is a post-millennial view. This is probably held by the least number of Christians today. And let me tell you why. Because the post-millennial view is that the world is just going to get better and better, and then Jesus is going to come back. Well, we take a look around. We don't see that happening very much. And I think... I'm not positive, but I think we'd have to leave out a lot of what we've read about Revelation in order for that to come to be, all right? And the third one is the amillennial view. The amillennial view is that there's really no millennium. Now, that means you have to leave out what we just read. But also, it's they, they view it, those amillennials view the millennial viewpoint as more of symbolic and more of if you had to put it in today's terminology it'd be what's happening between when jesus walked the earth when he first came and what's going to happen when he comes a second time which would be now that does answer some questions but i don't think it's quite right i think you would have to leave out a, a lot of revelation again and a lot of daniel so there's some weaknesses there. You have to decide for yourself. And then my last question for you to think about is what is God telling us about the end of time through any of these particular viewpoints? So that's what I want to leave you with. I want to sort of bait the hook for next week. All right? We have to understand there's a lot that we do not understand. There's a lot of varied viewpoints, and they all come from good, solid, biblical Christian people. So don't take anything as absolute unless that's what you truly believe for yourself. Okay? And there's no use in arguing, fussing, and fighting. We're not supposed to do that as Christians amongst ourselves. We're not supposed to do that. Okay? All right. So musicians, singers, Come on up. I know I'm ending it a little strange. That's okay.
Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the power of your word, the amazing things that you show us and tell us in your word. Lord, if there's anything that was said here or done here today that has touched someone's heart, or maybe they have questions, maybe they don't understand, we, we ask that they would be brave enough and give them the courage and, and wisdom enough to decide to step forward and ask about those things. They can ask any of these individuals, the musicians, the, the IT people, the, s- the singers on the stage. Lord, there's so many of us that would be open and willing just to share why we believe what we believe with others. Father, I think the time has come that we need to do that. And Lord, by your grace and your will, we're going to start doing that soon. Father, there's individuals here that may have been coming, maybe they've been regular attenders, but they've never been a part of a church, they've never been a member. If they have questions about being a Christian or questions about being a member, if they'd like to be a member of this body of believers, we pray that you would move them to step forward today and just come to speak to me here at the end. And Father, if there's those that have known you for a while and maybe they've been attending, maybe they're even a member, but they have never been baptized the way you were baptized, through immersion. Lord, be willing, we look forward that there'll be two young men baptized here in the next couple of weeks. And we thank you for that, Lord. But we pray that you would allow more of those individuals that need to come to know you in a personal way and have that intimate relationship with you. I read recently about so many people that are giving up religion. And Lord, I completely understand that. Because this is not a religion. This is about a relationship. This is about a personal, close, intimate relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each and every person here understand that. Each and every person that is listening or watching online. It's about a relationship with our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Father, is anyone here that needs to make those decisions today? I'd ask that you bring them forward at this time. Don't be afraid to nudge that person to the right or the left and just step out of the aisle and come. Come to open your way to the arms of Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please. I have decided to
flowers are around the platform here. These are gifts for the ladies. Gentlemen, I am saving your lives for Valentine's. <laughs> Actually, Kevin and Linda are saving your lives. They were able to uh, grab these up and they decided that they would like to share them with you. So ladies, there are lilies, there are succulents, there's even a couple of things up here called money trees. Good luck with that, <laughs> as they say. But as Christians, we don't believe in luck, right? So please feel free to come take one of these ladies as you leave. I think there's plenty, um, but do be careful as you're getting them. Um, we put some ice cubes in them yesterday to sort of melt slowly so they didn't make a mess. But uh, please feel free to take some of these plants and uh, take care of them and raise them up for you or a neighbor or a friend. And guys, you can tell your wives that, uh, you know, you're covered for Valentine's. <laughs> that way you'll be safe, okay? All right. Thank you, guys. All right, well, as we close today, let's uh, sing a final song of hope and joy soon and very soon. Yeah.